Thank you. So now as a continuation of the text that Mike just read and led us into prayer, um, prayer to the God of all grace that we learned about last week and that we we uh, soak in every single week, the reality that God saves us by grace, not by anything that we do on our own. In response to that, in continuation of that, here now today's scripture reading from Ephesians 2, verses 11 to 22. So would you hear the reading of God's word? <clears throat> Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. This is the reading of God's word. Heavenly Father, we pray that in the next few moments you would teach us from this text. Open our, our hearts and minds and help us to see truth and reality today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so as we step into this text today, we're continuing on in our, our Ephesians series, which is not only learning from the book of Ephesians that we're going in through each week, um, but also learning from what we learn in Ephesians, how do we drag that into our current day and love the people around us really well? How do we love this city, the city of Salem, the one that Mike just led us in prayer for? How do we love this place really, really well out of what we learn in Ephesians. And so again, building upon the reality that you know, God is a beautiful God of grace that we learned about last week. And so today, chapter two is all about us. It's about people and how God brings people like you and I together, uh, every one of us. We get to learn today a little bit about the story of us, you could say. Um, the story of how God calls humans to himself and to be part of something much bigger than ourselves and our own little stories. So just um, three, three points, and I don't really have any creative titles for these points today, so I'm just going to use what's in the text because it kind of walks us through beautifully 
in, in easy progressions. And so the first point is just from verses 11 and 12, where it says, at one time. So we're going we're gonna to look into this first point. What, 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 what was the reality of things like at one time, at, in the past, in history? What was the true uh, reality that the whole world was in at one time? And what, what this text leads us into and what the whole story of the scriptures lead us into is that there was at one time a separation between God and humanity. A clear division had been brought into the world so that humans and God could not be in relationship. You know, God created the world perfect. That's the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1. He created the world perfect. He created humans in his image to know him and to be in relationship with him. And they walked beautifully in the garden together and they communicated and there was openness um, and everything was good. It was in his good design. And then we're introduced to, in Genesis 3, uh, the serpent, who is also known as Satan, or another way that the Bible describes him as the devil. And the reason I'm going down this progression is because the word the Bible uses for the devil is diabolos, which you say, who cares? And this is why you should care. The word diabolos really just means the one who splits, the splitter. So if you want to know how the Bible talks about the role of Satan or the role of the devil, he's the one who split. He's the one who loves to break things up, to divide things, to to cause animosity and to put you in your corner and you in your corner and say, I'm going to get in the middle. So you're split. And so thus Adam and Eve were divided. Remember? And then because of the sin that then followed because of their division, God and humanity were divided because of the sin and rebellion that entered the world. Now, God's plan, though, did not just stop there. Again, because he's a God of grace and goodness, God chose from that point forward to pursue humanity and to initiate a rescue plan for all of us so that the separation didn't stay separate the whole time. Um, And so beginning in Genesis 12, uh, God calls a man named Abraham and he calls him out of the land where he was living. And he says, go, and I'm going to make out of you, out of one man, Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation. I'm going to make a people who's going to follow me and who's going to be my light to the world. And so from Abraham came many sons and many sons for, okay, I'm not going to sing the song. And the nation of Israel came from the line of Abraham. And God uses his people, Israel, with the beautiful task of redeeming the world back to God through the work of redemption. And so it's just a beautiful moment just to pause there and to see that God doesn't just um, choose to redeem the world through some kind of robotic mechanism or some kind of task. He, He chooses to begin the process of redeeming the world and bringing us back together, bringing us back to him through people, through the very ones that he's separated from, that's how God chooses to bring about unity and reconciliation. So God is deeply personal and relational. He loves to be in relationship with humans, and that's to the extent that he actually brings us back together through that very relationship. So anyway, Israel was tasked with the, with the role of being a light to the nations. Their whole existence The nation of Israel was to be a light to the nations so that 
they themselves could be brought back into relationship with God, but also so that every nation beyond the, the bounds of Israel or their ethnic uh, tribes, so that every nation could be brought back to relationship with God. And so this is throughout the Old Testament. Uh, God says in Genesis 12, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And he says, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So that was the purpose of Israel. The purpose of Israel was not just to remain like a separate nation just for themselves and then keep all the wicked nations or the, the pagans out of here. The role of Israel was to expand the kingdom of God through being a, by being a light to the nations. And so the prophet Isaiah picks this up. He says, I am the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light to the nations. So that was the purpose of the people of Israel. And so that means that all of the peoples of the world at one time and still today are far apart from God, are separated from God. And yet God pursues us, beginning with the nation of Israel to be a light to the nations but he pursues each one of us to bring us back into close relationship with himself because that's the whole purpose of life is to be in close relationship with the one who made us. And so if you look at Ephesians 2, it just becomes very clear, like some of the phrases then now pop off the page to you with a little bit of that context. It says, verse 12, you were at one time separated from Christ. He's talking about the people of Ephesus now. It says you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, right? So you and I are in the commonwealth of Massachusetts. We kind of use that phrase, but they were using the same phrase here for Israel, that the Gentile people of Ephesus, where Paul is writing this letter, he says you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were, you were on the outside. You weren't part of that covenant people. You were strangers to the covenants of promise, verse 12, it says, and it all culminates in, later in verse 12 when it says, therefore you have no hope and we're without God in the world. You were on the outside. You were separated from God. God chose his covenant people to make his name known to the world. And if you didn't hear that message through them, then you're without hope. Sorry, you have no, you have, God's not with you. He's like, that's at one time where you were. And this this is really bad news because Israel did a really poor job of fulfilling their task. Israel was supposed to shine brightly as a light to the nations and they, they were a pretty dim light. Their light did not shine very far and they, they got all mixed up in their own interfighting and then um, you know, taking on the worship of other idols during their time. They had poor leadership. Things just didn't go well for Israel, and they did not feel, fulfill their task of being a light to the nations. And so therefore, the rest of the nations were just up a creek. <laughs> they, they were without hope because Israel did not tell them the good news. And so the world was left naturally divided. And that's where this phrase, Gentile and Jew, in the New Testament becomes really important to understand. Again, if you're a Jew, you're in the inner circle of Israel, which the people there had kind of forgotten their mandate to be a light to the nations. And they're like, well, we're the good ones. We're the holy ones inside here. 
And then the Gentiles were anybody else that was outside of Israel. And they were without hope in the world. God was far from them. And this is the way it was for ages and ages and ages, with a few exceptions of the story along the way. And this, unfortunately, is not only at one time in the past, but this continues on for many of us today who are, have yet to hear the good news and who are on the outside, so to speak. Um, and we have to acknowledge that the divisions that plague the world from the very beginning, the separation that happened at the beginning that brought sin into the world, not only keeps us from God, but then it also splits us from one another. And so it's very easy for us to look around our world today and just see fractures and division and brokenness. And so obviously we're in a political cycle this year. So the political division is on the front page of every newspaper pretty much every day. You know, Democrat, Republican, Trump, no Trump, conservative, liberal, America first versus America as the global policeman, big government versus small government. Like pick your thing to be divided on and you can find it pretty easily. Racism, black and white, still something we're dealing with. Immigrant versus natural born citizen. Economic, rich and poor. Generational, millennial versus Gen Z versus boomer versus Gen X. Ethnic strife, Ukraine and Russia, Israel, Palestine. Tribal warfare in many countries. There is so much that is dividing us and does divide us as common humans in the world today. And all this can even find its way into church. We divide ourselves in the church even sometimes. Now, at one time, verse 13 to 18, we get another dramatic turn in in the text. Just like last week, where we had but God being rich in mercy in chapter two, verse four. So today in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, remember the Gentiles, remember the nations who were on the outside. They're not part of the people of Israel. They didn't hear because Israel didn't tell them. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought all the way in. You've been brought near. But now, now is a, not just a time word here, like the way that the word now here is being used in this text is not just February 4th at 11, 15 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, Salem. Now is also a spiritually timed word as well. The now for you in this text is when you turn to Christ Jesus but now in Christ Jesus, the one who is outside of time, the one who breaks into your life and who opens your eyes and invites you into that inner circle, back into that close relationship, that's the now that we're talking about. That is the turning point in all of our lives. Maybe that now for you was 40 years ago. Maybe that now for you is five minutes from right now when God opens your eyes to see this. But it applies to that time. It applies to today. The spiritual now is always present for God. In Christ Jesus, the world has changed forever. Just like we put on our sign outside the church here, because of the resurrection of Jesus, everything has changed. So the insider-outsider thing changed. The splitting that the devil caused changed. 
the political turmoil that you and I have to experience today changed because of the resurrection of Jesus. If he's resurrected from the dead, then those who are far away have been brought near. Those who were inside now have no more claim to God than those who are on the outside. Those who are Israelites had no more special status to God than those who were pagans or far away or part of the nations. Everything has changed. So at least five things here, it mentions pretty explicitly, have changed because of the blood of Christ, right? Verse 13, it says they've been brought near by the blood of Christ. So here's at least five things that have changed. Verse 13, it says those who were far off have been brought near. So Jesus basically completes the failed mission of Israel. What they could not do, Jesus himself took on and did. He was the light to the nations and he brought the outsiders near by a new and free invitation. Number two, in verse 14, it says he has made us both one. Jews and Gentiles, there's not two anymore. We are one in Christ Jesus. There's no distinction now. There's equality spiritually in the eyes of God. Number three, verses 14, 15, and 16 has this beautiful image of of God breaking down the wall of hostility. So again, I've been kind of using like the image of a circle, insider, outsider. But another way you could think about it is on one side of the wall or on the other side of the wall. And so there's a, divi- a division here that happens. There's a dividing wall of hostility that kept us from God and kept us from one another. In Christ Jesus, the law of commandments expressed in ordinances were abolished. So this whole insider-outsider thing, but like what keeps you in, what keeps you out, it's been abolished through the cross of Christ. He knocked down the wall. In verse 16, it says that he killed the hostility. Now I want to pause on that, on that picture for just a second. So again, picture this wall. Picture this wall as a not just a wall of division, but something that's actually actively hostile against us. I don't, like, I don't think many of us really have a good comprehension of like another way to think, like most of us don't look at a wall and say that wall is out to get me today. It's not, it's not like attacking me, but that's the image here is that the ordinances, the law of the, the commandments that had been set up that were impossible for us to keep actually had had turned against us and were hostile towards us. They kept us away from God. And it simply revealed our need for a savior, revealed our need for more than what is in front of us, that we can't keep up the laws and the commandments on our own. It became hostile to us. And so our hopelessness began to be revealed. A savior has come for all people. Verse 17, it says, this is number four. It says he preached peace to those who are near and far. Peace was the call of Jesus. Jesus came and pronounced the greatest ceasefire you could have. What the splitter had split, Jesus, the peace giver, brings back together. And finally, the number, the fifth thing here is verse 18. He gave, he gives us equal access to the father again. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So those five things have changed. And again, if, if that is the case, if this is true, if all this has changed, if this is true, 
if all this is true, then this means that every single person in this room has the opportunity to live a purposeful and meaningful life. Every single one of us. There's nothing that has to divide us. There's nothing that has to frustrate us. There's nothing that has to keep us from one another or from God. But we can be unified and together in a radical, beautiful, unique way. Billy Graham said, the world may argue against a creed, but it cannot argue against changed lives. So the world may look at Christianity and say, I don't agree with this teaching or that teaching or what the Bible says about this or that and let them argue away. But what they're going to see in you, if you have been brought near by the blood of Christ, is they're going to see a life that has been transformed by the power of hope. And they cannot argue against your life being changed. And that actually is what's going to bring the world together. I've seen it. I've seen how the gospel changes lives. I've seen how it's changed me. I've seen how it's changed many of you. And I invite you to consider, do you want the lives of the people that you live around to be changed in that same kind of way? And to not live in this divided existence that we all feel every minute of every waking hour. And if you do, then listen to the last point which is verse 19 and following. So then, so if at one time we were split, but now we've been brought near because of the blood of Christ, so then what? What changes? And this is where it turns into how do we love this city out of what we've just heard. So then what? Verse 19, how do we love this city? Verse 19 says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I just want to, like, in this last point, I'm going to give you three things to consider that I think are really cool. The first one is this. Our church, so I'm talking about our church now. Like, I'm just looking at you, each one of you. Our little church here, our diversity will make us compelling to the outside world. Like, I know not everybody's here today, but there's a great representation of who we normally are that's here today. And our church's diversity will make us compelling to the world. Every church is meant to be a beautiful reflection and representation of the city and the neighborhood in which they live and where, and where they are. And so I, I did some thinking this week. I just, I tried to picture each of your faces and think about what makes us unique and what makes us really beautiful. Not thinking about who might be here or who used to be here or who, who could be here in the future, but who are we now? What makes us di- diverse and compelling? And here's some things I thought of. Our little church here is made up of people who have lived in Salem their whole life and those who just moved here. We're made up of Americans and immigrants, English speakers and those who speak English as their second language. We're made up of black and white, 
Hispanic and Asian, African, European, Romani, and Haitian. We're made up of Baptists. We're First Baptist Church. We're also made up of Presbyterians and Catholics and former Jehovah's Witness and skeptics and seekers and doubters, those who were once involved in other spiritualities, those who had passed in, in the magic arts. We have elderly. We have toddlers. We have CEOs. We have college students. We have teachers. We have engineers. We have actors. We have opera singers. We have athletes, and we have those who can't get out of the bed in the morning. We have anxious, and we have content. We have those who serve the deaf community and those who serve the hungry community. We have those who work with their hands and fix things. We have those who work with their minds and solve things. We have those who have climbed mountains. We have those who are married. We have those who are divorced. We have those who are single. We have those who are celibate. We have those who work in technology. And we have those who have no idea how to use technology. We have Harvard-trained people. We have self-trained people. We have military-trained people. We have medical school-trained people. We have retirees. We have those just getting started. We have marathoners. We have authors. We have doulas. We have senior care workers. We have nurses. We have administrators. We have sinners who are in need of grace. That is just a little bit of the time I spent trying to think about the diversity that our little church is that is really compelling to anybody that's outside of here. That's a beautiful thing. We are wonderfully diverse and eclectic and beautiful. And I'm, I'm really excited by this community to be part of this. Anyone can walk in here and find common ground, anyone. And that's the way it should be. And that's compelling to anybody. There are other places you can go and find a diverse community like this. You can go to the YMCA or to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting or the senior center or a school, and you can find diversity like this. But what makes the church different is the second thing, is that our church's unity is what makes this stunning. So our church's diversity is what makes us compelling, but our unity around the things that matter is what makes this just baffling to the outside world. How could people like us who are so different, all those things like I mentioned and more, how can we come together and be unified? Like in a divided world, this is impossible what happens week after week when we gather together. It's impossible. There is no way this should be happening in a divided world. But it does because we have been brought together by the blood of Jesus. Those who were once far away have been brought near and we share that all in common. We are fellow citizens. We're no longer strangers and aliens, it says. We are a family brought together by our Father. And we're all built on the same foundation. Verse 20, it says we're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. That's our foundation. So this goes back to the apostles who were Peter, James, John, Paul. We rely on their teaching. That's why I teach the Bible every week, because that's the foundation. If we, take that, if we take away that foundation, we're just sitting on shifting sand. We're built on the foundation of the apostles' teaching. Acts 2, where it says that's what the earliest church was built on, the teaching of the apostles. And we even go back to the prophets. Again, I'm, I read from the book of Isaiah earlier. Why would we care about a guy that was writing 
a thousand years before the time of Jesus to ancient Israel. Why would we care about a guy like that? Because he's our foundation for truth and godliness that goes back centuries. And Christ himself is the cornerstone. So you and I are the stones that help make the structure, but Jesus is the cornerstone. And if you take him out, what happens to the walls? They crumble. That's when a wall becomes hostile again, right? Remember I said, most of us don't look at walls and are afraid that they're gonna attack us. Well, they'll attack you if you take out the cornerstone because the whole thing crumbles down. That's another hostile wall. Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the one that makes us stand. He's the one that unifies us. He's the one that the whole structure is built on. And so therefore, verse 21, we are joined together in him, the whole structure. He joins us together. And we together grow into the holy temple of the Lord. We are his workmanship, as I said last week. We are beautifully crafted stones that make a gorgeous building. And I'm not talking about this one. I'm talking about a spiritual building that we are. We are, we are housing the spirit of the Lord. And that's the last point here, is that our diversity makes us compelling. Our unity makes us baffling and stunning to the outside world. But our, our God is what makes us magnetic. And so the one that we worship, the one that we lift our voices to and lift our eyes to, to adore and to glorify week after week, that's the one that draws people back to this place week after week. Like if you're, if you're curious about something or if you're stunned by something, you may go check it out once or twice. But what, what draws you back to a church, to a community? It's the God who holds us all together. It's the God who draws us together by his spirit. So when it says we're made a dwelling place for the spirit, it says that we're a temple being built up. That means we are the ones who house the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in our community. And he's the one that when people come and they enter into it, they say something is different here than at the YMCA. Like, yes, there's a beautiful, diverse people here, but there's something happening here that I can't find anywhere else. And it's the living God at work, redeeming, reconciling, drawing us back to himself. Just as for Israel, when God dwelled in the Ark of the Covenant inside their beautiful temple, so today, now for all people, Jew and Gentile, God dwells in us, his church built together so that the world may see God for all that he is. So we're gonna take the Lord's Supper in just a moment, um, but I'm gonna close with this, this little illustration for you uh, to prepare us for that. It's a story by Malcolm Gladwell in his book, The Tipping Point. And it was an experiment that he was writing about. So it was a, a group of seminary students, which seminary is like where you're going if you're training for the ministry or to be a, like a Bible teacher or a preacher. And so there's, he tells about this experiment in which seminary students were told they were gonna present a lecture on a biblical theme extemporaneously, meaning that they were gonna, they were gonna just be told they had to teach something without any preparation. And they didn't know when it was gonna come. And so they said that the teacher said, okay, we're all going to walk to a different building. Um, and, and, and when you get to that building, you're going to have to do your lecture and we'll tell you what to preach about then. 
And so they all got up and they were going to walk to this other building. And uh, on their way to the building and where the lecture was to be presented, each student, unbeknownst to them, they were going to encounter an, an injured person who was an actor on their way. And so again, they're walking to this lecture hall to present a lecture. And they would run into a, a it was a good Samaritan kind of scenario where they were, this guy was injured and they were going to be evaluated based on whether they actually stopped to help the person or not. And so again, you picture all these different folks, their minds spinning, they're training for ministry and their mind is spinning on what should I preach about? And they encounter an injured man on the way there. And so little did they know that that actually was the lecture that they were being judged on. They actually weren't going to do anything when they actually got to the lecture hall. The, the lecture was, how are you going to respond to the injured man on the way? That was the test. And so after they got to the lecture hall, they kind of sorted out who helped the man, who didn't help the man, why did you help the man, why didn't you help the man? And it just it revealed in them your convictions can be changed by your context. Like, are you prepared to simply serve and to love the, the need that's right in front of you? Or is your mind already racing ahead towards the next thing? And so for you and I as a community, I think that's really convicting for us when we think about how do we love our city? It's not about, it's not about preparing to go do something big as some kind of big event or some big outreach or like, hey, let's be really unified today and be really compelling today. It's, let's, let's be truly reconciled to God and just respond to him as we go, as we walk out of this place in a similar type of way. Let's pass that test of just having this really authentic, genuine love that is expressed out of the gratitude that we give to God. As we've been loved, so we love others.